0: Last week, out of the book of Philippians, I'm glad that you are here. I hope you found yourself welcome in church this morning. Uh, You may feel like, oh, I don't know if I quite fit in. Don't worry about it. You fit in. And our church is better because you are here this morning. We are glad to have you. We're excited that you would be here, that you would join us this morning as we continue our study out of this exciting book. This is just a great little book. It's just four chapters, but the writer Paul, who we're kind of studying his writing, He knows how to pack a lot into a little bit, and this is just going to be a great study as we continue in our series that we're entitling Climate Change because each one of us have a climate, and our climate can affect somebody else's climate. You're having a good day. You can help somebody else have a good day. You're having a not-so-good day that can rub off on somebody else, and it can affect how their day is going. We, though, are studying how we can control that. Because a lot of times I meet people who just say, I'm just in a bad mood, like they have no control over their mood, as if the mood is just here to stay, and I've just got to deal with this mood instead of understanding that we can have joy in the midst of terrible circumstances. And we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul in this writing because the Apostle Paul is writing this book to a church in Philippi. Philippi no longer exists, but it is a strategic city. It was uh, an ancient city, and there was a church that had started there that the Apostle Paul just had a connection with. He just had this affiliation with them, and so he's writing this letter to them, and uh, he's writing this letter, and the theme of this letter is joy. What's kind of um, interesting as you study this book, the Apostle Paul is writing this from a Roman prison, and he's writing this book strapped to Praetorian guards. And when he eats, he's changed to somebody. When he uses the restroom, he's changed to somebody. He's in an uncomfortable, dark place, uh, bad health, he's in prison, but yet he's writing to encourage somebody else. And that's just awesome. That in the midst of difficulty, he had found a peace, he had found joy, and he was able to take not a negative climate, but he was able to help others have a positive climate and climate and if you missed last week don't worry you didn't miss a whole lot this is just a second part of our series but we said last week that to change the climate around us we must first change the climate within us and we just talked about how is that possible how is it possible that we're not prisoners of our condition that Paul he was in a bad condition but he wasn't captive to it. And so we learned that. And one of the key statements we used was that the activity of the mind affects the attitude of the heart. That what we think about, it's going to affect us and it's going to play out through our lives. Well, this week, uh, we're going to jump back into the next part. And last week we said that the Apostle Paul, he had a problem. That problem was pain and prison. Well, this next part is the Apostle Paul's new problem is people. Now, I'm sure none of you ever have problems with people. Yeah, right. We all do. We've all met that person that they just irk us. They just get under our skin. And so we're going to kind of dive into that this morning out of chapter number one. But I need you to notice something. And uh, have you ever ever had a conversation with somebody? Maybe it's a good friend. You go have coffee or dinner. And you just walk away. And you just feel refreshed. Anybody like that? You just have a meal or something with somebody? Yeah. Now. Uh, there's those people you look forward to spending time with because you know you're going to walk away and you're just going to feel better. They're just going to breathe life into you. You're going to feel encouraged. You're going to feel just like, okay, life isn't so bad. My problem's not so big. This is okay. I can keep on going. But then there's this other group of people that you sit down and you have a cup of coffee with and then you walk out of the meeting just thinking, did they give me a decaf because I feel just depleted. I just feel spent. I just feel like, man, I just did a brain dump, and I'm just kind of totally emotionally exhausted. And uh, any of you, you've met people like that, that they just kind of, um, uh, how can we say it? They suck the life out of you. That's just, that's what they are. They're, they're what you call emotional vampires. They're just looking for somebody who else who they can suck the life out of them. Well, this morning, I've entitled this message, How to Have a Suck-Proof Soul. How to Have a Suck-Proof Soul. And you say, why, why are we going with that title? Because you and I, we can't avoid people. You say, yes, I can. I can move to Montana. I can build a bomb shelter. And I can just totally avoid people. Maybe, but then you're going to find yourself on that TV show, that doomsday preppers, and so there's going to be somebody that's going to be knocking at your door. Somebody will find you. There will be somebody, or you'll be like castaway, and you'll start talking to a beach ball or whatever, or the, and the volleyball. You're, you, we, we long for personal connection, but what happens when the people around us just seem to just suck the life out of us? And sometimes we can control who we engage with, but you can't control when it's your boss or when it's your spouse. Or when it's your teenager, can we get a witness? You know, I mean, there's just certain people you can't just say, hey, I got to get rid of this person. So how do we properly deal with them? And so the Apostle Paul lays it out so well in this passage. And I want to lead off with this thought that the fastest way to change our climate is first to change the climate for someone else. Because too often I find that we're looking to say, I just need to feel better. And the more we focus on ourselves, the more we just, we don't feel better, the more we just kind of turn inward. And so we're going to notice in verse number 9 through verse number 17. And uh, can we do this? Can we all stand out of respect for the word of God and uh, just kind of get the blood flowing a little bit? It's just a few verses. We'll just stand and we'll just read these. Uh, Just some great verses of scripture here as we kind of dive into our message this morning. Are you excited to be in the house of God this morning? Hey, there we go. Amen. All right. I'm glad some people are excited. Excellent. He said, House of God, this is a movie theater. You know, well, we're here from 10 to 11. It it becomes a sanctuary where we worship God, all right? We just transform it with our spirit, all right? And uh, let's dive into this passage of scripture. I hope it'll be a help. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that you may prove things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the people in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. I want you to turn to somebody else and say, do you have a suck-proof soul? Do you have a suck-proof soul? Find somebody and tell a suck-proof soul. Thank you. Once, you. once you talk to that person, hopefully they want to talk back to you, you can find a seat this morning. Do you have a suck proof soul because there are those people that they will just come into your life and they think you could be seen that will just kind of drain you so how do you deal with this and we're going to kind of um start backwards we're going to reverse engineer this because the way the apostle paul writes he sees the problem but the solution to every one of the apostle paul's problems starts with jesus That's where it starts. And oftentimes, we like to look for other man-made solutions to our problems. You're saying, no, I've got a person that I don't like. I will call a hitman. I'm not going to pray about it. You know, I mean, there's other ways I can get around this. And so the Apostle Paul said, hey, there's some people that they're just going to drain you. And in this passage, you may or may not caught it, but there was a group of people in Rome that one group was sad that the Apostle Paul was in prison. And it motivated them, since the Apostle Paul wasn't there to preach and teach, it motivated them to step up their A-game. But there's a second group also in Rome that instead of being sad that the Apostle Paul was in prison, they're glad he's in prison. Because they like the limelight. They want to be up in front of people. They want people to notice them, to um, uh, look to them. And so they were happy that the Apostle Paul was in prison. And matter of fact, the writing here is that they began to, and I'm just going to read it again in verse number 16. It said, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. That there was this group of people that they just said, is Paul suffering? Good. I want to make him suffer more. Wow. These are Christians. That's who this group is. It's not some pagans, it's not some lost people. These are some people that they said, Hey, is Paul suffering? Good. We want him to suffer some more. And we want to add affliction to him. What are they trying to do? Just suck him dry. Here he's already in prison. He's already at a point where you would think, hey, he's pretty emotionally volatile. Let's let's ease up a little bit, you know. Um, growing up in our house, there were seven of us, and so you could just kind of tell when mom was upset. Um, sometimes I wish mom would have a little, like, red light, like, on her neck or head somewhere that would start to really flash when she was about to blow up. We didn't have that. So you would just kind of keep going. All of a sudden, mom would just kind of blow up, you know, and uh, you kind of knew at that point, all right, just back off. All right, start start cleaning something. Start putting away something. <laughs> just do something to make yourself look like you're doing something productive. And usually that, 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 the, the, anger, the redness in the face would usually calm down once she saw her kids were productive until she opened up the call closet and avalanche of stuff just then to start all over. But here the Apostle Paul, hes you would think that you would be sending him a care package, possibly a cake with a little file in it or something where he can escape, you know, a little paper clip, trying to pick the lock, something to encourage this guy. No, they said, how can we make this guy suffer? There are people out there in life that, I don't know why, but they just take it as their life's mission to just annoy you, to just kind of get at you, that work's stressful, and they're just kind of come over, oh, work is great today, isn't it? You know, And just oh, and talk about all of these good. And you're just like, can you please just back up? And so we're going to deal with that this morning. But how do we? Because the Apostle Paul, instead of being down and discouraged, the Apostle Paul is like a, an oasis in the desert here. It's dry all around him. He's in prison, difficult circumstances. But here's this guy that's just refreshing, and he's just encouraged. Wouldn't you and I like to be like that in that situation where we just feel like I'm emotionally spent? I'm exhausted. I don't know what's going to happen up next, and what can I do? And, and here we find that he's just upbeat. He's confident in Christ. He knows that it's going to work out. You say, how does that happen? And I, and I wrote this down. The secret of climate change is a tireless love for others. A tireless love for others. Because you say, why would the Apostle Paul, when he wants to talk about how to deal with negative people, why would he start this passage talking about love? Because you and I have a disease. We all have it. We were born with it. Sin started it. It's called the disease of me. Everything we do starts with us. And how do we combat this disease of meat? The Apostle Paul knows this about the church at Philippi, and so he's going to start there. He's going to start with hey, first of all, you have the disease of me, where everything revolves around you, and as long as you have that disease of me, anybody that takes from you, they become the enemy, and you look at them as somebody negative, somebody you want to push away. And until we combat the disease of me, you're going to constantly be disappointed, you're going to be angry, you're going to be upset, and people are just going to keep sucking the life out of you. So the Apostle Paul, in verse number nine, he starts. Starts off with a powerful truth. He said this. He said, and this I pray. He's saying, hey, this is, I pray, this is what I beg of you guys. That your love may abound yet more and more. He's saying the only way to handle this, guys, you're going to deal with people that just constantly suck the life out of you. You can't avoid them. You can't just go move somewhere where there's no people. You're going to have this problem. So here's how you deal with it. Here's how we confront this. And he's saying that your love would abound yet more and more defy the disease of me we've got to love and now here's what i thought about this and when you think about love when our heart is filled with love love alters the atmosphere of our heart that's what love does when your love is full all of a sudden you just feel like man i'm feeling a whole lot better Think about it. When you first fell in love with your spouse or that person, or maybe you're right now in the midst of just kind of falling in love with somebody. When you're around them, that love in your heart just kind of elevates you above all problems. You look at that person as almost an escape from your problems. Why? Because you're in, you're in love with them. You love that person. So love al- alters the atmosphere of our hearts. So the apostle Paul is saying, hey, let love abound. But don't just let, let love abound. He's saying, basically, he says that love would abound more and more. It means to super abound. It means that love is just spilling over. That love is just overflowing in your heart. That you have that much love. So love alters the atmosphere Of our hearts. This is how the Apostle Paul was able to master his moods, because he let this love keep abounding. Even for people that you and I would look at and say, They're happy you're in prison, Paul. Why are you loving them? And the Apostle Paul even goes on to say about this group in verse number 18: What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, and yea, will rejoice. He's saying, I don't care. He's saying, hey, they may be happy that I'm in prison. They may be glad that I'm here and I'm suffering. But that's fine. They're still Christians that are still saying that they're preaching the gospel. So I don't care. As long as they're preaching the gospel, I don't care how they treat me. That's powerful. Because love had so altered the atmosphere of his heart. How is love, what is love doing for you? Because too often we, can, we pick and choose who we want to love. It's easy to love the lovable. That's not hard. It's hard to love the person that needs it most. That's what's hard. And some of you are feeling like, wait a minute, you're talking about a suck-proof soul. Love means i got to give. Here's the, here's the thing. When love is just over overflowing and overabounding, it's easy to because you've got excess. It's easy because it's just coming out of the overflow. It's much easier to love somebody when you've got so much more. But oftentimes, like I said, we have the disease of me, which means we love ourselves first and foremost. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. Whatever our heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. That's a powerful, powerful statement. That whatever our heart clings to, whatever our heart longs for, that becomes our God. So in essence, we can dethrone God when we don't have our hearts filled with love for others and for him. We become our own God. We become our own deity. We want to worship ourselves. We want to please ourselves. And that, then when somebody comes along that needs something, we have nothing to give because it's all for us. And, our, and love is not altering the atmosphere of our hearts. You see, our hearts, though, love nothing more than to be filled with negative emotions. That's why the Apostle Paul said, hey, your heart is going to look for the negative. Haven't you found that out? That it's, it's amazing? I, I was just, yesterday, I was just driving in the car. And I was just thinking through some things. And it was amazing how much of my heart just wanted to go to the negative things. Just worry about things, just to worry about things that are going on in my own life, things that are worried about going on in the ministry, and just worry. And I was thinking, wait a minute, there's no reason to worry here. There's absolutely no reason. But I just found that my heart is prone to feel negative emotions. Sometimes you'll find that your heart is prone to the negative emotions. So that's why the Apostle Paul says, let's start there. Let's let our love, let's let our hearts be filled with love, overflowing with love, just abounding with love. With this love. Because why? We're prone to have these negative emotions. And what's amazing. That this group of people. As they let love abound. In verse number 14. Here's what's awesome about this group. There's two groups. There was the group that was sad Paul was in prison. And there was the group that was glad Paul was in prison. The group that was sad that Paul was in prison. In verse number 14. The very end. It says that they were much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because why? First John 4.18. Perfect love cast out fear. Here the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, when that love abounds, you're going to have no problem going and sharing the love of Christ with somebody else. Some of you, you right now, you're around family or you go at work and you're nervous to share Christ with them. When the love for God is abounding, you'll find it's easy because that love will conquer the other emotions. That love will take over. Right now you're saying, my heart is so filled with so many negative emotions. Are you letting love abound? Are you letting it? In verse number six, we said, and being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Here's the problem. See, God, he's orchestrating the work, but it's up to us to cooperate with his work. But so many times, I'll be honest, I find myself resisting and fighting the work of God in my own life. That I can tell God is teaching me something, God is leading me to do something, but I'm the one stopping him. That I'm the one that's saying, No, God, I, I don't know about that. And here, the Apostle Paul, he had every reason to say, God, I, I don't really want to let my heart be filled with love. I'm strapped to two smelly Praetorian Roman guards here. And these weren't just any guards, these were the meanest, the baddest guys that the Roman government had, and they guarded the most dangerous criminals. Was Paul the most dangerous criminal? Historical background they say Paul was a very short man, about five foot two. They say he was nearly blind. He had several health issues. Doesn't exactly look like a world-class criminal. But here's these huge Roman guards. They were guarding him because here, this, is, this, is, this guy is dangerous, and, and this is who he's chained to. But here, the Apostle Paul is talking about love. His heart is filled with love. Can I say this? Praise powers perspective. That as you praise, it powers your perspective. You can't be filled with negative and positive emotions at the same time. So the key for us is as love superabounds, that praise begins to power our perspective. See, a lot of us, we forgot what we said last week, the triple A. I'm going to go back to this. That we, triple A is access, attitude, and actions. What we, the attitudes that we allow access into our heart will affect our actions. What are you allowing in? And some of us just feel like, oh, I just let anything in. Stop. Don't just let anything into your heart, anything into your mind, because it's going to affect you. And so the Apostle Paul, he gives us this example that he even said in verse number 18. He says, I'm going to rejoice. I'm choosing to rejoice. We said it this way last week. Your joy is your job. It's your responsibility. But so many times we want to look for another substance. We want to look to another person. We want to look anything outside of us. But God gave you everything you need for the Christian life but so many christians don't live like he gave them everything he needed many of us are living well below our spiritual means we have been blessed and we've been richly blessed in christ jesus the bible says but so many of us we're not accessing those we don't understand that what we've been given in christ and here god has poured out his blessings on us and so we can have this praise and praise will power our perspective joy is mentioned over 16 times in these four chapters joy The Apostle Paul says, I'm going to choose to rejoice. I'm going to make that decision. So praise powers perspective. But then I want you to get this, and I know it's difficult. The larger the pain, the louder our praise. The larger the pain, the louder our praise. No matter what you're going through, our praise should match the problem. We sang a song, and I hope you caught it, It Is Well With My Soul. Let me give you a little background if you haven't heard about it. The man's name was Horatio Spofford. He was a wealthy businessman in Chicago before the early Chicago fires. He had a good friend. The good friend was an evangelist, world-renowned evangelist at that time by the name of D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody. He was an evangelist in Chicago. They said in his ministry, he saw over a million people won to Christ. His ministry was in the 1860s, kind of that time period. So there's not a whole lot of people. So this is just incredible, the amount of people he was able to minister to. Horatio Spoffer just went through the great Chicago fire and lost most of his wealth. He had stress problems and needed to get away. And he sent his family, his wife and four daughters, across the Atlantic to go to London for a vacation. On the way over, their ship was struck and it sank. Only the wife was saved alone. He lost his four daughters. Here, this businessman who's just going through a a horrible financial loss is now going through a terrible emotional loss. Uh, Any parent here that's ever lost someone, you know that there is nothing more heart-wrenching than to have to bury your own child or to see someone very close to you pass away. Here's a man that now he's just devastated. And the captain of the ship came to him as they were crossing the land because he needed to go be with his wife. And they said, this is the very spot where we believe the ship sank that took your... Four daughters' lives. He went into his cabin just heartbroken. And he began to write words that honestly, you would have to be super abounding with love. He says, it is well with my soul. Whatever happens. And I love verse number four. He says, and then one day, when Christ shall come, I'll see him. And it'll be better because it's well with my soul. You see, the larger the pain, the louder our praise. But that's so counterintuitive, isn't it? That the bigger our pain, the more we complain. That's what we want. It's like, oh, today sucks. I just want everybody to know how much it sucks. I'm just going to honk my horn at everybody. I'm just going to slam any doors. I'm going to plop myself in the office. I'm going to give the secretary that look, and I'm going to just kind of be angry with people because I'm having a bad day, and everybody else is going to know, and we just kind of affect all these people around us, and we're just thunderclouds and lightning and our climate is negative and we just affect everybody around us and what's important we don't realize that that person you just berated or you were rude to they're going to go to their spouse and be rude to them and then they're going to go to their children and their children are going to have a bad day and then their children are going to go to teacher this thing compounds you don't understand the ripple effect of our lives we just don't think that it matters we don't understand that the way we treat an employee, they're going to treat a customer, the customer's going to treat his family, and the families going to treat their children, and the children are treat their teacher, In this vicious cycle. And we just think, why is my bottom line being negatively affected? Because of how we affect people, because we're connected. It's been said that we are connected, everybody in the world is connected by only five people. That if you track five people, you're connected to everybody in the world. As you think about it, I'm just like, that's incredible. So when it comes to our pain, are we getting louder or are we getting quieter? I, I can tell when things are going wrong with some of the people in church. It's just been a rough morning. You don't sing. I can tell how well we're doing spiritually when we don't sing. He said, no, 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 you can't. It's true. I'll prove it to you. I was a teenager, and my youth pastor, he came to me, and he said, "Makai, I notice you don't sing anymore. I said, yeah, whatever. He said, that's a big deal. He said, a teenager that's not singing isn't normal. He said, it doesn't matter if the songs are not to your taste. We're worshiping God, and that means you have nothing to worship God over. And when you're saying, I have nothing to worship God, you're actually expressing disappointment in God. You're expressing frustration in God. He's saying, worship is to God. It's praise to God. And that praise powers our perspective. I know not every song is going to be to our liking. I know not every song is going to be upbeat enough or slow enough or fast enough or loud enough or or, or tasteful enough or, or or too contemporary or not contemporary enough. It's never going to fit everybody here. But the message of the song, that my heart is worshiping God right now. That's who it's for. It's not for anybody else. And so I'm expressing right now that I will worship God even in the midst of pain. I'm going to express my praise. Because praise is the only thing that's going to get me through this. You read the Psalms and you try and tell me that that David didn't keep going to the Psalms because he was experiencing great pain. That he lifted his voice to God when he was in pain. That he constantly, when after he sinned with Bathsheba and he lost his son, what did he do? For seven days and seven nights, he fasted and he prayed to God. And then once he heard the child who's was dead, he got up, he dressed, he ate, and he praised God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I will see him again. He might not be able to come to me, but I will go see him one day. That's what he knew. What are you banking on? When we sing these praises, they're a statement of our faith. That's what it is. So when we are going through pain, the Apostle Paul is going through excruciating pain. The larger the pain, the louder the praise. That's when we need to lift our voice. I hope when you're having a bad day on the way home from work, you just roll down the windows, you put on K-Love, and you just sing it at the top of your lungs. Nobody can hear you. It's okay. They may think you are crazy, you are out of your mind, but it's okay. You just worship God. You just got to elevate your perspective a little bit. You just got to let that love alter the atmosphere of your heart. And all of a sudden, you're going to say, you know what, the day wasn't great, but I'm going to keep saying, it. Because God is greater. God is better. God is bigger than this issue. God is better than my problem. He'll take care of this. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to his church. Because the Apostle Paul had a delight that was down deep in his soul. He had something that nobody could take. And it started with love. It started with love. That's why the Apostle Paul said, hey, the people, that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with God. We're going to start with love to him. The Apostle Paul, throughout all of his writings, you see a pattern. He deals with the vertical before he ever deals with the horizontal. He's saying, yeah, yeah, people you think are your problem, that's not really your problem. You see, he's getting to the question underneath the question, the real heart issue. The Apostle Paul says, I know what you really need. Just like a surgeon really knows what we really need. I'll be honest, I, I would never want to go into for surgery when they say, oh, we've got to cut this out, we've got to do this. Oh, no, let's just avoid it. But the surgeon knows exactly what he has to do. He knows what he's really got to get to. He knows, hey, just take some aspirin and sugar pills. That's not going to do it. He needs to get to the heart of the problem. But then I want you to see this. Our worship is most meaningful when it's the most painful. That's hard, isn't it? Our worship is the most meaningful when it's the most painful. The psalmist said in Psalm 71, verse 14, but I will hope continually, and I will yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know that the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Our worship is most meaningful when it's most painful. So we see love alters the atmosphere of our heart, but I want you to see this. So that's dealing with The vertical, then Paul starts to deal with a horizontal. He says this, our devotion is best demonstrated by our love for others. Our devotion to God is best demonstrated by our love for others. Some of you that have been around here for a little bit, you say, wait a minute, I've heard that before. It's a part of our core DNA who we're all about. That our love for others is best demonstrated by our our love for God is best demonstrated by our love for others, how we love others. Here's a group of people that they just wanted to suck the life out of Apostle Paul. They wanted to suck the joy. They wanted to suck the happiness. They just wanted to leave him empty, miserable, depressed, discouraged. That's where they wanted to leave him. But the Apostle Paul, he had a secret weapon. He said, That's not going to happen. He wouldn't let it happen because his heart was overflowing with joy. He had something deeper. You see, Every one of you is going to have a vampire in their life. Those people who just suck you dry. Because some of you, you feel you've overdrafted on your love account when God wants you to be overflowing. You say, I'm just overdrafted. I'm just empty. I'm just depleted. Growing up in 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 a ministry home and then going off to college, I didn't have the best uh, financial disciplines. Let's just put it that way. So when my awesome wife married me, she didn't know she was inheriting financial undisciplined person. And that's exactly what she was going to inherit. And she said, wait a minute, this is going to change. We are going to fix this. And uh, she lovingly, but yet very clearly took over the budget, which is a blessing. We're not homeless. So it it, it was all a good thing. And she said, what is this? And she went through my records, like, going back years. She said, did you see how much you paid in late fees? Oh, yeah, 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 it's just $15, just $20. She said, you kidding me? You're paying, you're just giving the bank free money because you just couldn't be disciplined and just organize your checkbook? You just gave away money? You just overdrafted? And I didn't think anything of it. Nowadays, oh, oh we don't go to Redbox late. Oh, no, no, we don't even do that. You know, that, that's a dollar thirty-five. so, no, no, you can't even be late to Redbox now. Before it was $15, $20, now it's like, you didn't get there by 9 o'clock. It was 9.05. They they charged, you get there by 9 o'clock. Okay, don't hit me, wife. You know, And uh, one of those kind of things. And so we're just sticklers with it. And some of you today, you're letting everybody just kind of overdraft. And you just feel so depleted. And you just feel so exhausted. But you don't know what to do about it because you just feel like you're out of control. Like you can't say no. You can't deal with it. So how do you deal with it? How do you have that suck-proof soul? And Paul is saying here that, it's about the love. The love needs to superabound, needs to be overflowing. Rick Warren said it best, love is spelled T-I-M-E, and the best time to love is now. That's the best time. We spell love by time, our time that we give to others, our time that we share with others. I want you to understand that our love should be loud. You say, what do you mean? In verse number nine, notice what the Apostle Paul said. He said, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. He's saying that knowledge and judgment, some of you may have a Bible translation, is, is um, a, a, a discernment. That's what he's saying. He's saying basically love should mature. If you would have asked me between, you know, when I was five to 17, where do you want to go to eat? I would say McDonald's. Let's just go to McDonald's. I like McDonald's. I enjoy it. Now, I don't say that anymore. Now, I'll say, hey, you want to go to like Cheesecake Factory, Applebee's? You know, my love has matured. My tastes have matured. Here's what happens a lot of us, we're not letting our love mature. We don't. He's saying right here now your love needs to abound, but your love needs to mature for deeper things, bigger things better things. That means when you got married, your love matured where you're not just focused on you anymore. Your love isn't matured to that other person. Every mother in this room knows their love really matured once they started having children. I mean, if, if I were to go to any of you women before uh, you had any children and say, seriously, could you ever kill somebody? They would say, no, no, no. Five minutes after that baby is born and I go to you. Would you ever kill somebody? Oh, you bet your life I would. And they would. Why? Because the love that they have for that baby, oh, you don't mess with mama. She's a bad mama-jama. She'll mess you up. Why? Because the love has matured. The love has gone deeper. What happens with Christians, I meet they've been saved 10, 15, 20, 30 years they've been saved, but their love is never maturing. Their love is, hey, feed me, do for me. I'm here to bless me, serve me. I'm not here to do jack squat for anybody else. Your love hasn't matured. Your love should be loud. Your love should make a difference. Your love should be something everybody else steps back and says, that's real right there, what they've got. That's the real deal. This past week, I uh, met with the principal of Oak Grove High School because the week after our Easter egg activity, they were all off on spring break, so I couldn't go and thank them. And I went in to talk to the secretary. I had never met the principal of Oak Grove High School. And so I went over there, and uh, I, we, as a church, gave them a thank you of Marie Callender's pies for the entire staff and faculty. They said thank you very much, by the way. And so I came in with all these Marie Callender's pies just to say, hey, thank you for letting us use the facility. You guys were great. And then the principal, she said, hey, I want to talk to you. So I got to have this conversation. It's kind of a, just a God moment. And then this woman just began to tear up as we began to talk. She began to share her story. She said, you know, I grew up in a single-parent home, seven siblings. She said, we never had anything like this. We never had a church that would just do something like this for us. She said, we were as poor as you could be. She said, an Easter egg hunt where they give away candy and bounce houses and a hot air balloon. She's crying as she's telling me this. And she said, I've heard about your church. You guys did that fall festival thing, free for the kids. He said said, you guys are just different. Our love is loud. It's loud. And the community has got to be loud. We can't just go around saying we love people. We've got to show people. We've got to let them know that we love them. You see, it's been said that when it comes to showing people you love them, sometimes use words, if you have to use words. But show them. Show the people that you love them. I... Yesterday, my wife just told me at the bridal shower, the ladies just did something so unique, and I just thought it was so good. And uh, they reversed it. Normally, it's, hey, what does your husband do for you? That's really nice. And they flipped the script. They did it differently. They said, hey, wives, what are you doing for your husbands? And I was like, come on, that's good preaching right there. That made me excited. And I was all happy about that, and I just thought that was great. And I'm going like, to let them take over next week, and just kind of, but no, no, I'm just kidding. But they really did. And my wife was just like, it was convicting. I said, that's, that's right, woman. I get convicted, that's right. No, just kidding. I'm going to be in so much trouble today, I can't tell you. But understand that it's that love that just says, I'm going to love somebody else. I'm going to let it be large. I'm going to let it be loud. And these Christians just said, hey, we're going to have a love that is loud. How loud is your love this morning? Is it a whisper? Because there's a whole lot of churches, their love is just a whisper. And they fade, and they're never heard of again. We're just a year old. Are we going to let our love just kind of fade? Or are we going to say, no, no, our love is loud. Our love is here to minister to community, to minister to people who honestly probably won't do anything for us. A community that they may not see it right now, but they will understand that we do love them. The Apostle Paul, he taught them, our love should be loud. Not only should our love be loud, our love sets no limits. Our love sets no limits. The Apostle Paul didn't say, now, Christians, as you love people, let me tell you who you should and should not love. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way when he rewrote the law. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He said, The second great commandment is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. We have the disease of me, remember? We love ourselves a lot. We just got to recognize that. That's not something we just kind of beat somebody else up and just say, oh, poor me. No, it's just a fact. We're sinful. We're selfish. We have this disease of me. And and Jesus said, hey, love your neighbors like you love yourself. Some of you, you don't even know your neighbors. It's time that we just love those next to us. Hey, your neighbor may be that coworker. Your neighbor may be that person that you just meet at the barbershop just for a few minutes. How are you showing them that your love is real, that your love is loud, that your love sets no limits? It's easy to love the lovable. But it's time we focus on others. And the more you focus on others, you'll find the less miserable you'll be. Love sets no limits. A lot of times we like to set limits on our love. But how are you using what God has given you to serve others? God has given us three things. Time, talents, and treasures. How are you using those? How are you leveraging those to the glory and good of God? How are you using those? There's a great parable Jesus taught in Matthew 25. It's a parable of a master leaving, and he gave talents to his servants. One servant he gave five, to one he gave just three, and to another he just gave one. And when the master returned, he came back, and he found that the servant that he gave five talents to had doubled it, and now he had ten. The servant who had just a few, he doubled his, and then the one who had one hit it in the ground. You see, one thing I pick out from that parable, and this I hear all the time, and it bugs me. People say, well, I'm just being faithful. He was just being faithful that one. Never once in that parable is faithfulness implied. What is implied is multiplication. That we take what God has given us, reinvest it. That's what has been implied. What are you doing with your time, treasure, and talents to show your family, to show your neighbor, to show your ministry, to show those people around you, hey, I love you. It's one thing just to say. It's one thing to give a hug. But what are you leveraging time, treasure, and talents? What are you doing with those? How are you showing people that my love sets no limits? And lastly, our love should last. Notice verse number 10. There's an interesting word. He said in verse number 10, that you may approve things that are excellent. You may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I love that word sincere. A sincere love. A genuine love. A love that doesn't have a false motive. A love that's not just after what it can get, but a sincere love. Here's what's great about this word. This word meant without wax. You're blessed by that, I can see. What it really has to do with is back then, there would be sculptors and people who would make clay jars and pots. And what would happen is sometimes they would mar the sculpture. Sometimes they would crack the vase or the jar. But what they would do is they'd get some wax, they'd fill it in, and then they'd paint over it. And what would happen when the sun's rays would hit it, You would take it home thinking, hey, everything's just fine. You would take that sculpture home. You would take that vase home, and you would think, this is beautiful. This is great. Look what I got. I got a deal on this one. And all of a sudden, you set that statue in the sun. The sun starts beating down on it, and all of a sudden, you see that statue's nose start to slide. Like, what's wrong with my my statue? Then the ear starts to go, and it starts to look like Picasso. And you're like, what happened to my beautiful statue? Because it had wax, and it didn't withstand the sun. It was insincere. So the Apostle Paul is alluding to what everybody knew that day was that you wanted to go to someone, uh, somebody who would work on these things, that would say, hey, sincere. That's the Latin term that they would use. Sincere means guaranteed. This is without wax. It'll withstand the sun. This is, this is what you want. And the Apostle Paul is saying, is your love like that? Does your love last? Is it sincere? Does it really hold up? Because it's easy to love when it's easy to love. What about when it's not easy to love that person? What about when it is difficult? You see, you're saying, wait a minute, you're not dealing with the vampire that sucks me dry. I am. This is how you deal with it. That is, you're overflowing. You can withstand it because you're overflowing with love. You've got enough to share because love is not built on you. Because a lot of you are saying, hey, it's impossible to love anybody like that. And you are correct. This love is not natural. It is supernatural. Without Christ, this love is impossible. That's why the Bible says that Christ, despising the cross, despising the shame, could go to the cross for the love that he had for you and me. It was the love that drove him there. It's the love that held him there. He didn't have to stay there. It was the love that he had for us, people that could do nothing for him those were the ultimate vampires. The ones that were mocking him, laughing at him, stabbing him with spears as he hung there naked and beaten uh, in front of everybody. And there he hung because he had love. You and I, we can deal with that person that just kind of nags us a little bit. You and I can sit down and have coffee with that person who's just going through a rough time. Once we understand that our heart is overflowing with love, let the love abound. Let it super abound. You can deal with that relationship once you understand that you're overflowing. Because you understand that love, it's last, it's genuine, it stays. Romans twelve nine. the Apostle Paul also wrote this. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't let your love be fake. Let your love be sincere. Let your love be genuine. How sad it is today that we hear all kinds of people saying, I love you. I worked with junior hires and teenagers for years. And over and over you'd hear, them, oh, he said he loves me. Uh, I'm like, he doesn't know what love is. Are you kidding me? That's not love. He just wants your lunch. He wants a ride in your car, you know? No, he's no, 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 no. That's not love. I'll show you what love is. This is love. Having a job, paying for the bills, keeping a roof over your head, paying the mortgage. That's love. I know it's not sexy, but that's love. And a lot of times today we have a distorted view of what love is. But you and I as Christ followers, We need to know what true love is, what it looks like. Because if we don't know what it looks like, then how are we going to know to reproduce it? How are we know that's how we're supposed to love the others? I'll tell you what, that kind of love is highly attractional. When we as a church, as a body, as a community, embrace that kind of love, that first deals with the vertical, and then it deals with the horizontal. I'm telling you what, we don't have to advertise. They'll just flock to you. They'll just flock to us because they want to be a part of that kind of love. Because it's real, because it's genuine. It's sincere. But lastly, notice this, if you would, verse 16 and verse 17. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposed to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, and ye will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer through your love through your investment here's the question to what extent that you love others what if that was the gauge to how much god can do through your life that's a tall order isn't it what if to the extent that you loved others was the gauge by which how much God will do through you. Jesus said this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Not just a fake love, not just a a petty love, not just a hey, Sunday morning hug, how you doing, handshake, good to see you, okay, go away, I'm going to drink my coffee now. But the sincere love that says, what are we doing for Christ? How can we minister to you? How can I show you that I love you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? What can we do together? What can I pray for you about? What does your heart need this morning? Because I'm overflowing. I've got plenty to spare. What if we had a room full of people that were just overflowing? So when somebody needed that didn't need something, you said, I'm overflowing. I got you covered. I'm overflowing. I'm rolling. I'm dripping in it. I'm just loaded with it. That's what a church needs to be. There's no reason it shouldn't be. Because we have a Christ that's inside of us. And this love isn't natural, it's supernatural. And God is saying, I'll work it out, I'll bring it, I'll fill this up. You see, too many Christians have settled for less than they were destined for because they don't let love grow. There is so much more that God has destined for us, but why would he send somebody who's bitter, negative, with no love in their heart to go do a great work for him? He's not. He sent his son, because why? His heart was filled with love. He used the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, this is incredible. Because the Apostle Paul once murdered the Christians, now he has given his life for them, loving them, and ministering to them. He's done a 180 flip. Only Christ can do that. You may be sitting here and saying, I have no love. I'm empty. I'm beyond empty. I was pushing the love tank here. I was pushing the love car here because there's no gas left in it. I'm depleted. I'm telling you this morning, the Apostle Paul was right where you were, and his life changed. His life turned around. So can yours. Your love tank can be filled this morning. God God says it can be running over with love that's what the apostle paul is saying but don't settle for less than you were destined for because you didn't let love grow i want you to understand that oftentimes though when we feel like our life is just sucked dry and we just feel like i'm i'm just this desert we often instead of going to god we look to somebody else somebody drained us so i'm gonna look to somebody else to fill me god is saying no no that's not the answer and that's why Apostle Paul gave the principle and the example. He set the principle, let love abound, let it superabound. And then he showed, hey, in my life, I've got this group of people, church at Philippi. I've got this, these people. And let me let me give you a real life illustration of, of what they're doing to me and how I've overcome this and how it doesn't affect me because I'm rejoicing. He ends this passage, this letter here to them, with saying, I will rejoice in this. I'm happy in this. What an example. So for us, we need to put it into practice. You say, it's hard to love. I've got a cousin. I've got an uncle. I've got somebody who's wronged me. Then you pick an area where you need the love of God, and you pray to Jesus that you need it. That's where you ask Jesus right there. I need you here. I need you in this situation. You've got a job that's not going your way. That's a great moment for you to say, God, I need love in this situation. I don't have it. I'm looking to you to bring it, and He will. He will richly bless you. He will pour it out. It's a spiritual fruit. Love, joy, goodness, meekness, temperance, patience. God is saying, I'm looking to do it. I'm just looking for somebody who will ask me for it. Many times we have not because we ask not. How many of you remember a couple of Christmas ago, there was the airline, and uh, they had the little TV thing with Santa and people that were waiting for their plane. They could go up to the TV, and Santa would say, Oh, ho ho! what do you want for Christmas? And people would be like, I want a PlayStation. And 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 some would be like, I want a flat screen. You know, I want a new laptop. I want a camera. There's just a bunch of people. There was one dude who asked for a socks, okay? And then they didn't know that in the couple hours that they were going to be in the air when they landed, that the employees for this airline were going to go and buy them everything they asked for, everything. And then when they go to pick up their luggage, what came out on the conveyor belt? presence with their name on it you see the little kid running over got an ipad you see the guy who got the canon 5d camera and he's excited you see the person flat screen comes out and then you see the dude with the socks how stupid would you feel you'd feel like a moron how many of us that's our prayer life god says i can do it i can pour out my blessing what do you need I'll do it for you. Why are you asking for socks? God, just help me make it through this day. God said, I will help you make it through life, child. You want to just help for today? That's it? I can do more than just today. I can take you care of your tomorrow, your next week, and week after that, and month after that. That's all you want? You just need love for this moment? No, no. I'll give you far more than that. I will richly bless you. I will pour out so you have more than enough. But you just want socks? What kind of Christians are we? We have such small prayer requests. We just... Matter of fact, I think I'm being too kind. Some of us don't even ask for socks. Why am I ripping on the guy that has socks? At least he asked for something. Some of you don't ask for nothing. Nothing. And God just stands back just saying, they don't think I'm God. Because that's ultimately when we don't pray, that's what we're saying. We don't think he's God. That's convicting. I'll let that settle. When you get quiet, I know the Spirit's working. Because we underestimate God. And we don't think he can do it. We don't think he can step into our situation and show himself big and strong. We don't think he could show up and do something incredible through a church that runs just a few few people. host an event where thousands of people show up and they're blessed and ministered to by just 48 volunteers that were able to share with them the love of Christ. We, we, we doubt that God could do that, but he did. See, we need to understand that God says, I want to, I want to show this world, I want to show San Jose what real love looks like. And I want to use somebody who'll say, All right, Lord, I'm an empty vessel. I'm asking for big things. Because God, to the extent that I love, is the gauge by which you're going to use me. So, Lord, fill my heart with love for others. Let it superabound. Imagine how your workplace would change. Imagine how your home would change. As you said, Lord, here I'm going into not work, I'm going into my ministry. I'm not going into my job. I'm going into my responsibility before you. And, Lord, I need to fill up on my love tank this morning. I'm Instead of listening to sports, instead of listening to something else, Lord, I'm going to get my heart ready because those people need some loving today. They need some help today. They need something that only you can give them. And I'm your conduit. I'm your vessel. And I want to be it. I want to be used by you this morning. That's our desire. That should be our hope. I'm glad one person believes it. Maybe we should just pray right now. Let's, let me show you one more thing. As we kind of round this out, how do we put it into practice? When love is overflowing in your life, instead of you avoiding the people that suck the life out of you, you'll be ready for them. You'll be ready for them. As you say, I'm ready for you. I know you're coming. Every Sunday, every Sunday, I get ready, and I ask the Lord. I said, Lord, there's going to be somebody that they, they may have had a week where their life has been flipped upside down, and I, I, don't, I don't have the answer, but, Lord, I need to be ready with something. That's what I have to pray. Lord, there's going to be somebody that's going to walk into those theater doors, and they're going to have a need that I don't know if I can meet, but, Lord, I pray that you'd help me. Help me to say the right word. Help me to just be the encouragement they need. One phone call can change your world. One meeting with one boss can change your world, can it? See, we need to say, i got to be ready for this. Let love fuel your passion and focus your purpose. You see, supernatural love is only possible with supernatural strength of the one who lives inside of you. And Maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, I need that, but I don't have that. You came to the right place. This is a church where you can find that, where you can find that love, that supernatural love, that love that super abounds. We're going to give you an opportunity to find that love because Christ is saying, Hey, I love you. Now you can love others because I've loved you. He gave us the demonstration. He showed us this powerful truth. Let's stand. The pianist is going to come. And maybe there's some of you you're saying, Yep, I needed that. My love tank is empty. I'm not loving people like I should. I'm not using that, that love that Christ offers, that super abounding love like I should. And as the plays, we're going to take a time, and I just want you to ask the Lord to fill up your love tank. How can you love others if you're not filled? This morning is a time for you. Say, Lord, I, I, need, I need from you so that I can minister to the ones around me. There are people around you that they need hope, they need life, they need mercy, they need kindness, gentleness, patience, and it's up to us, church. Dr. Phil can't do it. Oprah can't do it. TV stations can't do it. Drugs can't do it. Alcohol can't do it. Sex can't do it. Jesus can. He's the only one that can meet it. And he says, You're my workmanship. You're what I'm going to use. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. A church that doesn't love is like a contradiction in terms. Hey, we don't have to be famous, but our love should be. How's our love this morning? But then what about if you're here and you're saying, I don't know if anybody loves me. I want to tell you about a friend of mine, his name is Jesus, and he loves you. You say, But I'm not lovable. He doesn't care. He loves you. Jesus loves you like God loves Jesus. God sees how God sees Jesus is how Jesus sees you. He doesn't see any faults and failures. He loves you and this morning he wants you to come to him he wants to take up residence inside of your life and transform your life this morning